you have a copy of God's Word, open to Matthew chapter 5. We started last week a series on the Beatitudes. And last week, we kind of overviewed all the Beatitudes. This week, we're going to begin walking one by one through each Beatitude, looking at what we said is Jesus' invitation to the good life, both now and forever. So we're going to look at Jesus' invitation to the good life this morning, specifically in Matthew 5, verse 3. So you have a copy of God's Word, open it up to Matthew chapter 5, and listen to verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The poor in spirit. When I was thinking about poor in spirit, I, I thought of my papa, who was raised very poor, a kind of poverty I never knew. And I've always been amazed at the difference that just a couple generations could make. So my Papa was born just a few miles away in Alpharetta, a little community that I don't even think exists now called OC. And uh, he was raised in Alpharetta and he was born into actually a sharecropping family. And when I remember when he said this, I thought like, there's somebody alive that I know that was a sharecropper. I, I mean, I remember reading about that in history books thinking that was just so long, so far away. But I remember him telling me about being raised in this extremely poor family and him and his siblings slept in the living room. He told us stories of their house was so falling apart that he remembers one time as a kid, snow falling through the roof on them while they were sleeping in the night. When he was 14 years old, he stopped going to school so that he could work and help his family. Uh, I remember him telling us, and he was not proud of this, but I thought it was cool that when he was 15, he lied to Coca-Cola that he was 18 and got a job at their bottling plant in Atlanta. Uh, and my papa just came from a generation, he was born in 1935. He had to work hard if he was going to make ends meet. He had to work hard to help his family even as a kid. He knew what it was to be poor. Jesus is highlighting in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, the poverty principle. That there's a principle that people in poverty learn. And they begin to learn, I, I don't have always what it takes to get by in this life. I don't always have enough money to buy the Christmas I wish I could for my kids and my family, or the birthday parties, or the car I wish I had. I, but beyond once, may, maybe they say, I, I don't have what it takes to get groceries this week. I don't have what it takes to get enough gas to get to work or take my kids to school this week. I don't have enough to get my kids new shoes before they start this new school year. See, the principle of poverty is that people have learned, people in poverty, people who are poor have learned that they can't always depend on themselves. They don't have the resources. They don't have the ability. They don't have the riches to depend on themselves to get the life they want or the good life at all. So the materially poor can read this beatitude and they can find comfort. You can find comfort that their life's circumstances has actually taught them a principle that's necessary to enter the kingdom of God. So I think Jesus really did intend to encourage the materially poor. Not because being poor is more holy than being rich, but because by being poor, they've learned the poverty principle. Jesus is telling us, and after what we learned last week, he's actually inviting us to embrace this, that only those who live by the poverty principle are living the good life. Only those who live by the poverty principle are finding their way in the kingdom of God. So are 
You living the poverty principle. Have you come to a place in your life that you may not be materially poor, but you've said, I know I can't depend on myself and my own resources to build the good life for me. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who you will hear me quote a lot over the next few months as we walk through the entire Sermon on the Mount because he wrote a phenomenal, he actually just took his sermons and put it into print on the Sermon on the Mount. He says that this beatitude highlights the absence of pride, the absence of self-assurance, and the absence of self-reliance. The principle of being poor is that you can't rely on yourself because you don't have what it takes. Two other commentators both used the same exact words when they were talking about uh, this beatitude, and they said it's spiritual bankruptcy. Spiritual bankruptcy. And so this is not just talking about material. This is talking about in spirit. So if you take that principle of realizing I don't have the resources I need, it means I don't have the spiritual resources I need to stand before God. I don't have the righteousness, I don't have the goodness, I don't have the morality or the ethics to stand before God. So do we relate to God in a posture of poverty? That's my question for us this morning. Do I relate to God in a posture of poverty? Do I recognize my own need? Do I see myself as needy at all? Is that something that the poverty principle is you see yourself as needy. The opposite that we're gonna look at in just a minute is that you don't see yourself as needy. And on, on our journey to learn the poverty principle, there's one giant roadblock in the way for all of us, and it's riches. So if Jesus is teaching us the poverty principle, we've gotta wrestle with point number two, the problem with riches. And you may say, wait a minute, what's the problem with riches? You may say, the problem with riches is that I don't have them. To which I would say, amen. <laughs> the problem with riches. See, when Carrie and I got married, we got married right, actually right here. 2,641 days ago. Seven years, two months, and 23 days ago. Right here, we got married. Peyton Hill did our wedding. That's how I know you can fit 220 people in this room, actually, believe it or not. It's because we did it. We got married right here, and we said vows. Many of you probably said the traditional, we didn't write our own vows, but things like for better, for worse, for rich or for poor, for sick and sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, to have and to hold from this day forward. We said those traditional vows, but when it got to the point where Peyton said, repeat after me right there in the middle, instead of just saying for rich or for poor, I actually said, for richer, and I wanted her to know what to expect. I said, for richer or probably for poorer. I was not under any illusion that a call to ministry was probably not a call to great riches. I, 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 didn't, I didn't want her to be fooled, like, hey, you know, we might actually be richer. No, pro probably for poorer uh, is, the, is the direction of our, of our marriage there's actually nothing wrong with being wealthy or rich. Like we've gotta take just a second and say that because some people have said that this beatitude and it's parallel in Luke six is actually highlighting that being poor has a greater holiness that goes with it. And I actually don't think that's true. And we know that it's not true because Jesus never condemns the rich for being rich. He doesn't condemn them for being rich. Jesus does warn the rich though of the danger of their riches. So being rich in itself is not a problem, but being rich can cause problems. Look at the story of the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. 
I'm gonna read it for us. Just then someone came up and asked him, teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? He said to him, there's only one who is good. If you wanna enter into life, keep the commandments. Which ones? The rich young ruler asked Jesus. So Jesus answered, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. I've kept all these, the young man told him. What do I still lack? If you wanna be perfect, Jesus said to him, go sell your belongings and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard that, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. That's kind of a funny story. We get to the end of that story and we hear the call to sell and give to the poor and he walks away sad, but we miss the hilarious part in the middle where he says he's followed all the commandments. Okay, (laughs) I just pictured Jesus rolling his eyes at this rich young ruler. Okay, sure. If you've really done all that, and Jesus jumps, why does, he, why does he put this question in front of him? Hey, why don't you sell everything and give it to the poor and then come follow me? I think Jesus is asking that question to get to the heart of what this man most loved and trusted in in this life. See, that's the danger of riches. Riches can woo us into self-sufficiency. Riches can make us buy the lie that we have all the resources we need to get by in this life. Jesus knew that wealthy people or rich people might have a hard time learning the poverty principle. So that's why he gives them warning after warning in the gospels. The danger of riches, the problem with riches, is that they can lead us to think we have all the resources we need, there's not a problem money can't buy. The solution is just a swipe or a click away. Riches can often lead us to think that we can depend on ourselves, which is something the poverty principle is the exact opposite of. You can't depend on yourself because you look in the bank account and you're bankrupt. You look in yourself and you go, I don't have it. But riches, you learn a different way of living. That you don't go without. Not only do you not go without things you need, you probably also have all the things you want. And you may go at this point, okay, Johnny, I don't, I understand, are you gonna quote the whole, if you're in America, you're one of the richest in the world? No, I'm not. Because I understand that poverty hits different in our community. Maybe there's areas you feel poor in and you don't always feel materially rich. But I, I think the point of this passage is not just riches like money. I think your riches are whatever you depend on, take pride in, or ask to bring you the good life. So you may say, hey, I'm not super rich in money, so does this apply to me? Have I learned the poverty principle? But I actually think we need to look deeper than just money when we consider riches. It might be money, it might be possessions, but it also might be something like power. You might think you're rich in your gifts or abilities or strengths. And you might think you have the resources to get by based on how good you are at certain skills. Your riches might be your good looks. Your riches might be your slightly imperfect, manicured, messy life that's trying to highlight the fact that you're imperfect and don't have it all together so that you can project that identity and find acceptance in a world that likes a certain kind of manicured vulnerability. Maybe your riches are how busy you are and you love the chaotic, busy life. 
And it's a badge of honor for people to say, I don't know how you do it. And in your heart, you're thinking, yeah, but I do, don't I? Maybe your riches are your morality, that you're a great person. Maybe your riches are that you're loving. There's never been a stranger you didn't help, never been a cause you didn't give money to. You're always helping others and taking care of others and putting their needs before your own. Maybe the riches you depend on is that you're always joyful and optimistic, that you always have fun and bring joy to others. Maybe it's that you're peaceful and you don't cause problems, you always get along. Maybe it's that you're very productive, you get things done. Whatever your riches are, your riches are really anything that you take pride in and you build an identity on. Your riches are anything that you depend on to give you the good life. So while we may not just be talking about money here, because really we're not just talking about poverty, we're talking about being poor in spirit. So how are you rich in spirit? How are you rich in your heart? What are the things you boast in? So while the poor can read this beatitude and they find comfort that their life circumstances has taught them this poverty principle that's necessary to enter God's kingdom, the rich in spirit or materially can read this and be convicted that our riches don't gain us any status in God's kingdom. Your productivity, your busyness, your money, your power, your love and good works towards others does not give you any status in God's kingdom. And the rich can be convicted that if we're not careful, we may find ourselves depending too much on our own resources to solve life's problems. And the rich may not ever recognize their true need. So to apply this to us, what are your greatest temptations to avoid the poverty principle? What's it, what's it like in your own heart and your own mind where you try to avoid the fact that you're poor in spirit? We got a chance to have a date last night and I was telling some people here early to pray this morning. I said, sometimes we go on a date and it's just like getting back up to zero. And so it's just, we're just glad to have time not being needed, not being in our messy house. And so, We'll go watch a movie and, you know, it doesn't feel all that intentional and spiritual and deep. Sometimes, like last night, we went on a date and it felt like we were at zero. So we got to be intentional and have some great conversation. Carrie said something so profound, I think, um, on our drive back to get our kids. And we were talking about just being busy and having a hectic life and all the chaos. And Carrie said, I think I like when my life is chaotic because I would rather pay attention to what's around me than what's in me. I would rather pay attention to what's around me than what's, that's her. You voted the wrong pastor. That was, that was so insightful. And I've been chewing on that last night and this morning. Because if we really all take an honest assessment of ourselves, we're gonna realize we're not rich, we're poor. We're gonna look in on our own hearts and realize we don't have what it takes. And that can be crushing, right? Are you relating to God in a posture of poverty or a posture of riches? Maybe as we read this and we, we talk about the poverty principle, we talk about the problem and the danger of riches, not just materially, but spiritual riches. 
Maybe you're willing to buy into it. Maybe you're going, okay, I need to be poor in spirit. I need to embrace this principle that I don't have in me what I need. I cannot depend on myself. Maybe you've bought into that principle and maybe you're asking this question, how do I do that? How do I grow to become poor in spirit? Okay, Jesus is inviting us to this kind of good life. What do I do? How can I actually embrace the poverty principle in my life? Well, we actually can't learn the poverty principle until we learn that our riches really aren't riches at all. We have to come to a just thorough dissatisfaction with the things that we boast in. We have to be really and fully discontent with the things we used to depend on. We have to learn that our riches really aren't riches at all. And that leads us to the third point, which is the provision of God. See, my Paul that I talked about earlier, he didn't stay poor. Uh, he worked really hard. He was a bivocational pastor for a lot of years, and his wife worked, my nanny worked, and um, they didn't stay poor. I never thought of them as poor people. I, they lived in a beautiful house up on a hill on a bunch of acres uh, out in the country, and they always had what they needed. They were always generous to me. I always, as a kid, remember whenever we would see Papa, which he didn't live too far away, so we got to see him often, he would always give us money. And you know how it is. When they're little, you can give them way less money because they don't realize how much it is. And then as they get older, a dollar doesn't cut it anymore because they realize, like, I can't really do anything with this. But, I mean, he would always give us a dollar or five dollars. But he would always say this, and even as we got older, and became teenagers, he would sometimes give us $20, but he would always say, because he was such a simple man, he'd always say, go, go buy yourself a little cheeseburger. And he'd give us tw- a $20 bill. I was like, this is a lot of cheeseburgers. But he'd say, go, go buy yourself something. He was always so generous and thankful, though, for the things that he had. But this poverty principle he learned, he, as he got older, he didn't stay poor, though. But the principle stuck with him. I remember part of the generosity of Papa was at Christmas time. Every year he would wait for us all. So he had three kids, and then they each got married, and they each had two kids, okay? There's six grandkids and three kids, and then eventually the grandkids start getting married and having their kids, so he's got great-grandkids there. He would let us have our always Christmas afternoon, Christmas evening at their house. Let us all open our presents, and everybody would swap gifts, and you'd kind of see him uh, disappear off in his room, right off the living room, and he'd come back, and uh, in his pocket, he would just have envelopes. And as the years went by, it got more because more people are in the family, and he would just not say anything and just walk around the room and start giving an envelope. And if you were in the family, you got an envelope. Even if you married in, you were getting your own. And he would always crack a joke about, you know, give it to Karen. Hey, don't, don't let Johnny take this now, you know. And, he would, and so he would always make sure everybody got a Christmas card from Paul Paul. And sure enough, you'd open it up and there would be $50 in there, $100 in there. And of course, we're all, you know, as people get it, and you don't want to sit right there and open it right front, so you'd kind of let them walk around the room. You'd open, you'd go give them a pop off. We're so thankful. But it wasn't until I got a little older, I started doing some math and going, wait a minute, a lot of people, if everybody just got the $100 I just got, he just gave away like a lot of money. <laughs> and that began to register with me. And then I remember one year, he never said anything before he passed out his Christmas cards, but one year he did. He said, hey, I just want to let you guys know uh, it's been a hard year, and we're, we're not able to do as much as we've done in the past. But I just, we love you guys, and I just want you to know that. 
And of course, I mean, what are we all doing around the room? Oh, Paul, Paul, we lo- it's not about that. We love you. So then he starts making his way, and everybody's still swapping presents and talking. And slowly, you see people start to open their cards and have a shocked look on their face, which spurred me on to open my card and find hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And we realized, first he just lied to us. <laughs> but again, my dad helped me interpret a lot of these things because I was a teenager and he said, he said, Papa wants to give while he can watch people receive it. He didn't just want it to be an inheritance that he was gone. He wanted to watch people. And so he gave thousands of dollars away to his family that night. Now, it's money, but what I watched, Papa understood that his riches weren't really riches at all. He knew what it meant to be poor, and just because he now just so happened to have money in his bank account, that didn't change the way he viewed life. His riches weren't really riches at all. He held them with an open hand and was willing to give them all away. His riches weren't really riches at all. And in Scripture, Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is writing to some of the earliest churches, speaking through the Apostle John, and the church in Laodicea needed to learn this message too, that their riches really weren't riches at all. So listen to what he says in Revelation chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. For you say, I'm rich. I've become wealthy and need nothing. Well, doesn't that look like the danger of riches we learned from the rich young ruler, the opposite of the poverty principle? I'm not in need. He says, I'm rich, I've become wealthy, I need nothing. This is Jesus' words. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. White clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not exposed and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. See, it's possible to be wealthy and have great earthly riches and yet at the same time be pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. It's possible for us to be rich in all the wrong things. We can be here in 2022, Shaliford Church, we can be the 2,000 year later version of the church in Laodicea. That's very possible, especially because of where we're located, not just in America, not just in Metro Atlanta, but specifically in East Cobb, a place that has a reputation of being more well-to-do, more upper middle class or upper class. We can say, even in our spirituality, even as we come to church week in and week out, even as we tithe, we can say with the church at Laodicea, I'm rich, I've become wealthy and need nothing. And we can fool ourselves into thinking we're a part of the kingdom of God if we don't embrace the poverty principle. You still might be going, but how? But how do I avoid becoming like that church? How do I avoid thinking I don't need anything and I'm not needy? I want to be needy and I am needy. What do I do? Listen to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 57, 15. For the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, says this, I live in a high and holy place and with the oppressed and lowly of spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the oppressed. A few chapters later in Isaiah 66, verse two, he says, my hand made all these things and so they all came into being. 
This is the Lord's declaration. I will look favorably on this kind of person, one who is humble, submissive in spirit, and trembles at my word. See, God delights to give to those who recognize their need. God looks favorably on the person who's humble and lowly. God gives his kingdom to those who are poor in spirit. God delights in those who realize that their riches really aren't riches at all. So all the ways that we live, all the ways that we, I mean, it's so easy to pay for something now, right? Swipe, click. Don't look at the bank account for a couple weeks. (laughs) Don't check the credit card. It's so easy. But that's actually doing something to us, and it's training us to think that there's no need I can't fill. I'm not needy at all. Oh, I'm, what do we say? I'm blessed. We are so hesitant to receive, in part because we don't think we're needy. And I remember when we studied this in our men's Bible studies last spring, I remember Lynn asking a question during this week and saying, how willing are you to receive? Your willingness to receive is in direct proportion to how much you've embraced the poverty principle. Your willingness to receive is in direct proportion to how much you've embraced the poverty principle. If you don't think you're needy, you won't be willing to receive. It'll be a badge of honor that you don't need to receive. But what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 in this first beatitude is that if you're going to live the good life, if you're going to find yourself in the kingdom of heaven, you must realize that you are in a position where you don't just want to receive, you have to receive because you're poor in spirit. So the way we learn that our riches really aren't riches at all is that we must receive a treasure that surpasses any of the riches that we've built for ourselves. We must see and behold a treasure far greater than our money and our possessions. We need a treasure that dwarfs our accomplishments and our abilities in this life. We need to receive the treasure of heaven. One of the Puritans hundreds years ago wrote a short booklet called the Super Nerdy Title expulsive power of a new affection. Basically, his whole concept was when you love something, the only thing that's gonna make you stop loving that is if you get a greater love that comes in and kicks that one out. The only way we're gonna stop finding treasure in what we can do and our abilities and the things we're stacking up on this earth that moth and rust will destroy is if something greater comes in and captivates our hearts and captivates our minds and our lives. And we can only receive this treasure of heaven, this greater treasure, because of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. I hope through the years we are continually amazed at the interconnectedness of God's word. We can only become truly rich because Jesus became poor for us. So when we see this Jesus who was eternally rich, the king of kings was there at creation and eternally has coexisted with God as God, the second person of the Trinity. When we see him leave heaven to become a man and live a poor life, seemingly laying down all of his external glory, just stripped away, 
He was hungry, tired, betrayed, abandoned, beaten, and crucified. He even says to someone who wants to follow him, the son of man has no place to lay his head. Didn't have a permanent home because of the way he traveled and ministered to people. If that's not a life of poverty, I'm not sure what is. But Christ only took on poverty like that, took on the poverty of becoming a man, limiting himself when he's the infinite God of the universe so that we can take on his riches. This is the gospel. Hillsong has a song from 10 plus years ago called Beautiful Exchange. That is the beautiful exchange. We give Christ our poverty. He gives us his riches. And then when we receive the riches of Christ, we realize that the riches we used to have weren't really riches at all. So the good life, what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5 verse 3, is that the good life is recognizing my need and receiving from Jesus. Recognizing my need and receiving from Jesus. Ephesians 3.14 talks about the riches of God's glory. We receive the riches of God's glory. The riches of his love. That reaches further than you could ever imagine. The riches of his grace that cover every failure. The riches of his healing touch that calls out pain and wounds that are in your heart that you may have never even known there and he wants to bring them up so that he can bring healing the riches of his power the riches of his kingdom the riches of who God is he's offering to you the only catch is you've got to admit that you're poor in spirit there's a song written a few hundred years ago by Charles Wesley called Rock of Ages and there's a, a line in there that says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. That's the poverty principle. Nothing in my hands I bring. I'm poor. Spiritually, I, I'm not, what am I bringing that could possibly add to God, that I could offer to him? There's nothing. That's the poverty principle. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. The way of the good life is the way of the cross. So what riches have you come to depend on to help you in the good life? It could be material. It could be something spiritual. It could be something that you take pride in, something you build an identity on. What riches have you come to depend on? And have you ever been so truly captivated by Jesus that all your earthly riches are nothing compared to him? Or is there still something in your life that compares in worth and in value to Jesus? Because if there is, then I would like to invite you to take the picture of the big Jesus that the Bible gives us. No small Jesus, something big, something big enough to make everything else in your life that you're impressed with pale in comparison to him. Have you ever had a vision of Jesus like that? Have you ever seen Christ as being that big, that glorious, that amazing, that loving towards you? That you say, there's nothing else in this world I'd rather have. That's what it means to accept and to follow Jesus. It does not mean that you have every answer, that you can figure out everything about the Bible that's true and you've plumbed the depths mentally. It doesn't mean that you have some incredible emotional experience towards God. 
It doesn't mean that then you do enough good works for the next few years to prove that God's really changed your life. What it means is that you see Jesus for who he is and you see yourself for who you are and you realize that he has invited you to him, no questions asked. That's the invitation of Jesus and that's actually the invitation of the good life. Which is quite opposite from the good life that we think we'd like. Blessed are the self-sufficient for they'll never be indebted to anyone else. Blessed are those who don't take a handout. Blessed are those who can provide for themselves. Christ, though, blessed are the poor in spirit. Can I tell you what? We all qualify. And that's good news. There's nothing you need to do this morning to qualify. All you need to do is come in faith and tell Jesus, I am poor in spirit. And then live like that every single day. Find yourself depending on him more and more. So this morning, I want to invite you to let go of your riches and come to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this surprising and upside down vision of the good life you've given us. It's certainly not what we're naturally inclined to do. Um, I think we would rather have some sort of rules that we've got to try hard to do. But you gave us what we needed and you met us exactly where we are. Every single one of us in this room are poor in spirit, God. And I pray that you'd open our eyes to see that this morning. I pray that you'd help us to live out the poverty principle to realize that our riches really aren't riches at all and that we can't depend on ourselves and our resources to get the good life. We don't have what it takes. We are spiritually bankrupt before you. And the only way we're gonna learn that is if we stand in your presence and we see you for who you are. So God, give us eyes to see you this morning. Give us eyes to see Jesus. Give us a heart of faith to lay hold of Jesus and say, Jesus, you're all I have. So we truly don't have anything else, Lord. I pray for the families. I pray for the people that are working full-time. I pray for the kids, God, who aren't in here, the kids who are in here, the students. There's so much temptation, God, for us to try to build a life on anything other than Jesus, to think that there's some greater treasure. There's just not. We want the greatest treasure this morning. In Christ, we know that that's you. So it's in your name we pray, amen.